Coming up on the Draft Deck, we are joined by Tyler Metcalf to talk about Evan Mobley as a prospect, his stock in this draft compared to some of the other blue chip prospects, and touch on the Jalen Johnson situation and how that has affected his draft stock. How far has he fallen? Has he moved at all? All that and more coming up next. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. Only problem you're gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. All right, we're back. Episode two, draft deck, uh, draft deck pod. We are here as always. I am your host, Corey Tulliba. I am here with my co-host Albert Gim, and we have a very special guest, Tyler Metcalf. Um, real excited to talk to Tyler. You, if you got uh, issue one of the hardwood, then you might be familiar with Tyler and uh, his his work on the NBA draft, or maybe you're uh, you're here because of him and you're following on uh, following him on Twitter or any other social platform, but. Uh, Regardless, we're very excited to have him here. He is the first official guest of the pod. So, Tyler, thank you for hanging out with us wow. today. Uh, I'm 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 honored. I appreciate the invite. Uh, <laughs> it's good to good to talk to you guys in person, or well, as in person as we can be, and not just over Twitter. So, I, I, I appreciate you having me on and talking some NBA draft. Yeah, always fun. Always fun. Um, you know, this is the exact place that we first started on a Streamyard stream. With uh, Chris from the Off the Ball podcast, uh, yeah. you know one of his live, uh, I think, mock drafts. So, yep, we made yep, it back. First we one made it back. Year. We made it back digitally. Anyway, so today <laughs> we are going to be talking about one of the most popular pos- uh, prospects in the NBA draft. He is seven feet tall. He has a seven foot five inch wingspan. I think I weigh more than him. But it's USC center, Evan Mobley. Uh, real excited. Really excited. How do you guys feel? How are you feeling about it? Uh, Tyler, you can go first. Go ahead. I, and he's he's the real deal. I mean, besides Cade, I think he's the next clear guy in this draft. And I kind of have him in that second tier all by himself. Um, you know, I, I, I if someone else goes two based on team need, I can kind of understand it but if you're going off pure talent feel for the game decision making potential ceiling all that stuff i mobley's been incredible and ever since they got into that pac-12 play um he's just taken a massive jump in his production every single game um and he's one of the best players in the country as a as a freshman and his impact is legitimate and real and tangible every single game Hmm. Yeah, so you're buying you're 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 buying on to some Mobley stock. Yeah, I, I I'm all all in on him. I, I struggle to see a, a world in which he's not a good starter for a really long time. Yeah, I, I mean I agree with you. They, the thing that's fun about this draft class is most of the top five is are pretty safe bets to at yeah. the very least be solid starters, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, I know Albert. Me and you talked uh, about Evan Mobley a little bit. We touched on him uh, on the first episode of the show. Uh, have you had your opinion change on him at all? Um, are you buying in on him? Um, mm-hmm. he, he's somebody you should be selling on because of his perception now. How, how are you feeling 
you know, a week and a half later? Well, I think overall, um, first off, I do want to say, Tyler, it's awesome to have you on. Um, man, when it comes to Mobley, I, I, I'm excited to have this conversation today just because um, I feel like we're at a point now where it's still super early, right? We're still a long ways to go from the draft. And I feel like this is now the time where we can start to overthink things. Um, just as like a perfect example, right? When we look at the NFL draft, just as an example, um, the Jets are supposed to pick second, my beloved New York Jets. And we are suddenly, right? We're getting mocked by everyone to take Zach Wilson from BYU, right? And meanwhile, when we were watching these bowl games, we saw what Justin Fields can do against the Clemson, against these great teams. And so for me, when I think about Mobley, I, I wanted to have this conversation today. I was really excited for it just because I do wonder... Like we've heard so much and we've seen so much of why we think Mobley can be great. But with Tyler on today and with Corey, you two, I, I, I want to gauge what are the not red flags per se, but what are some parts of his game that do scare you? Because for me, and we'll get into this more in depth later, but I, I was trying to compare his number to some other his numbers to some other guys um, when they were in college. Uh, I looked at 80s numbers. I look at I looked at Mo Bamba's numbers. And oddly enough, I also looked at Justin Patton um, from when he was at Creighton, just because when I watch Evan Mobley play, there's a lot that excites me, but there are things that scare me too. And so I did some comparisons with their numbers, but I I think a good place for for me to start is rather than talk about the things that I love about him, um, I'm scared to overthink this too, but I do wonder what were some things about his game that might kind of give you some reservations, I guess. Uh, well, I know for me personally, and you know, I just released uh, my film session on Evan Mobley that you could watch on my YouTube channel, and I think for me, I'm, you know, it, it's a very easy problem to solve, hmm. uh, and it'll it could easily get solved with coaching. He is one of college basketball, high school basketball. He's one of the worst screen setters at any high level. <laughs> Yeah, of basketball that you know you'll see for like as a center, you just have to make contact, right? right? You just have to. You you need to get low, you need to get wide, and you need to not be afraid to just fucking hit somebody. Yeah, I mean, you could probably count on one hand the amount of times that he's actually set a solid screen. You know, he and I don't know if this is a USC thing. Um, I guess I'd have to go back to and maybe watch some uh, a Kung Wu film from last year. Look, he slips everything. And, and that could certainly be scheme. Um, but there are times where he just walks up to the guard and is just in the way. He's just in the way. He he doesn't and and one of the, the criticisms of the USC team for him is that the guards don't do a good job getting him the ball, you know. It's a two-way street. Um, it's you know it's very easy to go. Well, the guards just don't find him, but there are plenty of times that he just doesn't you know allow them to be in position to find him. Mm-hmm. You know, guards. If you're not setting a solid screen guard to big, then you're gonna have defenders just blow up the screen, get over the screen, go under the screen, whatever it is, so easily and just recover. And now your entire quick hit is over, right? You got to pull out, reset. So for me, that's something I worry about. Is it a huge worry? No, right? Because all you got to do at the next level is get 
you know, him paired with somebody who's just going to be like, listen, you're a professional now. Mm-hmm. You can't flip everything. I get it. Uh, you know, cover certain coverages are going to allow you get the Draymond, you know, short roll hit. He's a great passer. So he's, he's going to be excellent slipping screens. I have no problem with it, but sometimes he just has to do it because he can't only be a guy who is playmaking out of that little slip. He also needs to be a guy who, you know, pair him with a, a guard who could shoot. You need mm-hmm. gravity both ways. You know, you need him to be a lob target. Um, and with his measurements, his athleticism, the way he reads the game, his touch, his hands, he could be one of the best in the game, but he's got to make contact. He's got to get stronger and he's got to make a concerted effort. So for me personally, it may seem small, but it is, you know, a larger issue that setting solid screens is a skill. Yeah. And and that's something for me, I, I take away from watching him because he's a terrific prospect. Um, so it's, it seems nitpicky, but to me, I think it's a, a little bit bigger of a deal than, I think other people have made it out to. I mean, I haven't really heard that criticism much, but I, for me, that's something I I look at uh, with him. I, I think as a Nick fan, we see that with Mitchell Robinson all the time. That makes me really angry. And so, definitely watching Mobley, I definitely realize that too. That the screen setting is kind of terrible. But um, yeah, Tyler, what about you? Anything sticks out to you? Well, yeah, and, and I kind of want to touch on that screen setting thing. As a Timberwolves fan, Carl Anthony Towns, I don't think has set a legal screen in about two weeks. Um, so it it matters. And, you know, you, you hear people harp on Rudy Gobert and all his screen assists all the time. So, and it, it's important, but I think it's, I would be shocked if Evan Mobley has ever been taught how to set a screen, because when you have someone that big and that talented growing up, why, why do I want him coming up to set a screen? No, I'm going to throw it to you on the low block and get out of your way and let you do whatever the hell you want. Um, so I, but every time he does go set a screen, he's narrow. He's not wide. He's just kind of there. But I don't think it will be a long-term issue for him because I know he's super skinny. I know he's really lacks the strength to control the post. And I'll kind of get into that um, in a minute. But he's not afraid of contact. When you watch him rebound defensively, he's always looking for a body to box out on. Um, when he's on offense, I know most of his game is finesse because he can't overpower guys, but he finishes through contact pretty regularly, regularly, and he's he's not afraid to go into guys and really initiate that contact and get to the line. So when it comes to the screen setting, I think it's just a fundamental thing and something that he's really never been taught or asked to do. Um, and I don't think it's a mental thing where it's like, oh crap, I don't want this dude to hit me. Cause I, cause in every other aspect, um, you know, he's hitting guys. And my bigger concern with Mobley is just kind of his ability to control the post because he, he is skinny. He is, you know, he lacks some muscle, he lacks the strength. So bigger guys move him pretty easily when they post him up. Um, you know, he does a great job of blocking shots with his length and staying vertical, but guys get pretty deep post position on him and then conversely on offense um this kind of goes back to Corey's point about guards struggling to get him the ball he's he struggles to really seal off defenders when he's posting up and you know his his massive wingspan helps that and makes it a little easier for that but a lot and i was just going through um that usc arizona game today and Guys are coming over the top of him, stealing that pass pretty regularly. Um, so I, I know he's a teenager. I know all teenagers have to add strength, but it's really one of those things where if he doesn't or if it's really slow, then his overall 
post impact, I think will be pretty limited on both ends, but eventually um, I don't have too many concerns about him kind of getting there because we've seen it through a ton of guys. So, uh, okay. For me, I understand. Like I, I could definitely be overanalyzing this a little bit, but um, just two things that stood out to me. I, for whatever reason, don't love centers who are um, like who have short torsos and really long legs. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing of mine. And, uh, it kind of scares me because I feel like those guys are more prone to, uh, lower, you know, lower, uh, leg injuries and stuff like that. And so that scares me a little bit. Um, but the thing on his jump shot, and I know this is fixable. I know that this will get, this will get better. I just, I, I feel like he shoots on his way down a little bit, uh, which I, I don't love. And I feel like he, his shots can be a little short once he gets to the next level. But once again, I mean, that's all fixable. This is a nitpick. Um, I don't want people to take my words and say that I'm saying that that's why he's going to be a terrible player. I, I think he's going to be freaking great. Um, and, you know, we Corey and I last week, I think we talked about this shortly about like Zay Todd, right? Isaiah Todd in the G League, part of the G League Ignite and how well he moves. I really like how Mobley moves, but I'm not like amazed by how he moves. Like I remember Mo Bamba two years ago and the way that he ran and moved and like how fluid he was at Texas that like really kind of like popped for me off the screen. I don't know if Mobley is that amazing and, you know, graceful as Mo Bamba was back, back then. But once again, that could just be a me thing. But those are the two things that stood out to me, him kind of shooting on his way down. And I don't like how uh, short his torso is, but once again, what am I saying? Right. This is kind of nonsense. <laughs> no, but, it's, uh... <laughs> it, it, it isn't. So on your movement thing, I think that he is a very straight line drive athlete. Um, like when he is just rim running, like get a rebound, hit the outlet and just run to the rim. He is like a gazelle, like just a, a beautiful sprinter with long strides, his change of direction speed. And this is where, um, the Anthony Davis stuff, it's where people lose me with that. Yeah. Anthony Davis, he moves like a guard and he's a generational prospect. So part of the comparisons is that when you're, you know, comparing people to generational prospects, there are just certain things that are inherent to those people that most players aren't going to have. And Anthony Davis's ability at his height to move the way he moves is just something that you can't learn. It's something you can't teach. It's just something innate that he was just blessed with. And and that's part of what makes uh, uh, generational prospect. I don't think that Evan Mobley is a generational prospect. I think he is the evolutionary big man. Um, and he moves super well, but you you'll notice that, you know, while he has a good handle, it's not like he has an elite handle, right? Like when he is facing up on the perimeter, it is one dribble, two dribbles, turn my back to the basket. You know, he doesn't have that ability to improvise on the fly and maybe it's something that he'll learn and get better at. I don't see why he wouldn't, um, especially as he gets stronger and he's able to take contact and bump people and he won't just rely on that thing. It's like, it's almost the thing that, you know, when you're you're growing up and you see point guards who are not used to, you know, playing against uh, a jumping athletes, they just, they automatically all the way up half court, they, they just turn their back and do the Mark Jackson post up mm-hmm. down the court to keep the ball safe. And he almost does that after a couple of dribbles. Um, and then, you know, he, sh- he's able to show off his you know, kind of amazing length and 
touch um, in those situations yeah. around the post when he does that. Cause it's, it's pretty, some of the, the, the shots that he hits and the way he uses his length is pretty phenomenal, but you know, where you're saying with, with his movement, I don't, I think people are overstating it. I, I do. I think he moves phenomenally well for a guy, his size, but not phenomenally well that you're just like, wow, I'm blown away by what I'm watching. If that makes sense. Yeah. He, he just doesn't have that, that pop, that explosiveness that these other guys have. Mm-hmm. He's very graceful. He's very fluid in the way he runs. I mean, he, he, few, I, you know, few prospects, his size run the floor as effortlessly as he does. But if you're looking to him for him to like really create off the ball and, you know, lose guys with his explosiveness or lightning quick first step that like Anthony Davis has, like, what, what are we doing? Why are we comparing guys to Anthony Davis? Um, you know, that term generational prospect is thrown out way too often. We can't have one of those every single draft. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but I, mean, <laughs> that said, I, you know, uh, to kind of touch on Corey's point with how he utilizes his length, um, when when he hits the ball at the top of the key and takes that one dribble into a back down right at the free throw line, fakes that spin to his right, steps through to his left, and finishes with that push shot, um, you know, at the point where he's releasing the ball, it's four feet away from the defender. And, and it's such incredible touch on, the, on those that it's so difficult to guard. And he's not as fluid with that going, you know, doing it the other way, but he has, you know, shown off that he can take that one crab dribble into the left hook as well. So I I don't think he's, you know, that really that rim runner, explosive leaper like James Wiseman was, or is, I guess he's a rookie. Um, but <laughs> I, I think he's way more skilled than those guys and really right. knows how to utilize his length. Um, both in his lower body with his step through and his upper body with his uh, release points. Yeah, his use, uh, his ambidexterity, and I nailed that on the first try, which I'm really happy about, <laughs> uh, is, uh, is really impressive. Uh, you know, for a guy his size to be able, and not just offensively either, he's able to use his left hand um, to get, you know, to contest shots. Yeah, jump shots, shots around the rim as well, which is great because it doesn't force him to kind of get out of position and have to turn his body. But offensively as well, his touch that way with his length when he just it's not like Kareem skyhook, but, you know, it it is, uh, you know, the evolutionary aspect of that. It's just an impossible shot to contest. Now, with his strength, you can body him and force him away from the rim with it. And that's something that like, if he's able to kind of put on a little bit of weight now, I don't think he's going to like fill out and look like Dwight Howard by any means, but he definitely has the ability to be that Kevin Garnett skinny strong um, as he, you know, matures into his body. And, you know, if he's able to just hold his own in that post and actually move guys off their spot, you know, his finishing ability with his length, it's, it's going to be a real issue for defenses. Um, but the other thing, like even in the NBA now where that kind of post play isn't necessarily like where your bread is buttered as a big, he, you know, using his length again, like his face up game is really solid. And, and that's where to me, like he kind of has a little bit of like Chris Bosch to his game. Now, Chris Bosch was like, I think a little bit shorter, maybe I don't know, like a couple. I feel like 
maybe he had those shorter legs you were talking about that were more proportioned to his body and that, you know, mm-hmm. he's a little more agile. Um, but he has like, he's, he's almost like a, um, like a, a skateboarder who rides goofy, you know, like he, like he'll face up as a righty and use his right foot as his pivot foot. And I think mm. that throws defenders off um, because he, he uses it to kind of go left a little bit. And another guy like that was Jaron Jackson Jr., who has like this awkward, like he's awkward and kind of rigidy, but he's also fluid all at the same time. And it's tough to guard. Um, but with, with Mobley, he has those long strides. And once he gets a step on you, he's kind of able to use a couple of strides from that little post up air, uh, that little 15 foot face up area to get to the rim. And he draws fouls. And like you said, he's not afraid of contact in that regard. Um, also a tenacious offensive rebounder, yeah, uh, which is really, really fun. But, but yeah, he's, um, his ambidexterity is really, is really impressive. I think one thing that's interesting for me, um, just from even just from our conversation, the names that we're throwing out there kind of tells a story, right? The fact that you just mentioned a Triple J, right? We mentioned Anthony Davis. We mentioned all all the other other names, and I think we're seeing little tidbits of all these really good players, and we see that in Mobley's game, and that's why it's so exciting. You know, and the the biggest thing that popped for me, I've only nitpicked at him so far on this pod. So our listeners might think like I hate the kid. Um, I really like Mobley a lot. And I and, and I think the thing that stuck out to me the most is his passing. Because right now, when he plays against like lower competition, like that Montana game, right? He would get double teamed that he was making really nice reads. And, and like we live in a day and age where like, you know, it's almost expected that you make these passes, but we see a lot of guys who can't. Um, and, and the fact that he is making these passes, I think that's really, really cool. Um, and the thing that you mentioned defensively, right? I, I Once again, I'm going to bring up my Knicks because I, I love them so much. But my, my biggest gripe with Mitchell Robinson is whenever we go against bigger guys, like well, if we play the Pacers, or we play the Magic, we go against the Sabonis or we go against a Vucevic, he really struggles. And, and he's improved a lot right as a defender but he really struggles against those bigger guys and i think that'll be something for mobley to work on because right now he's listed at seven foot 210 and 210 at seven foot is really light um but as you mentioned Corey and and you know tyler you mentioned it too i, I think there is potential for him to bulk up and if he bulks up even if he bulks up like 10 15 pounds that can make a big difference at his height with his length and his athletic ability and so once again i know we can overanalyze sometimes but He's a really freaking exciting prospect. And for me, though we mentioned in passing before, his passing. I, I really love his passing a lot. And I think that'll just get better on the next level with more coaching and more experience. And that's really exciting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, um, his passing is what really puts him into the top three conversation. Yeah. Because I think if he didn't have the playmaking ability, he is kind of in the same category. Uh, look, uh, Definitely a better scorer, um, but he is in that kind of like Mo Bamba category as prospect. But yeah. the fact that he is so smart in the way that he reads the game and the way that he, it's like he can make any pass to anywhere on the court because his physical attributes allow him. His length and mm. his height allows him to see over defenses and he holds the ball high so he, he's not going to get stripped. And that's actually a, a really important skill for big men to catch the ball high and keep it there. Uh, you know, that's like growing up, 
if you ever play with a big kid, that's all a coach would ever, you know, tell him because what happens? You bring the ball down. That's where the little guards can go and, and swipe it away. But he always has the ball high and he's ready to go. But he also has the IQ to know where the open man is going to be. And that's the other important thing. And that's why he makes those reads to the weak side corner and why it's so impressive. Um, and it's why that you wouldn't be upset when he does slip screens because, you know, he can hit the little mid-range shot. And if he's blitzed, uh, you know, ever like whatever he's pressured, he's able to just turn, not panic and fire like a laser right into the shooting pocket of his shooters. And, you know, at the next level, I think he's only averaging a little bit over two assists at the college level, but you could absolutely see him being a guy who eventually is kind of that secondary playmaker in the way that Bam Adebayo is. Now, part of what makes Bam, uh, Jokic, Embiid really dangerous as passers are their ability to kind of run DHOs with like movement shooters and that's something where his strength is going to really have to get better. You know, setting a screen after the DHO, you, you start running the pick and rolls that way, creating space for, you know, like you mentioned with the screen assist for Gobert. Um, like these are all things that are going to enhance his passing ability. But you could see him if he if he gets that under wraps. Like I think he could average four and a half assists a game, five assists a game, you know, in the right offense at the NBA level. Yep. Julius Randall level. even in their most recent game against Arizona state, he finished with uh, seven assists and he easily could have had double that if guys would have knocked down open, open threes. Um, And just his overall decision-making is incredible for a teenager. And one of the things that I keep seeing people harp on is him being passive. And I see it more as him just making the right basketball decision nearly every possession. And you rarely see him take bad shots. I I think there's a game earlier this year where he didn't have a single jump shot. That's, that's not good. You don't want that. Yeah. (laughs) But I, he doesn't really turn the ball over. He's not just barreling into defenders and just throwing something up he's not taking these step back threes that he isn't ready to hit so just his overall vision feel for the game decision making is just really impressive for someone his age and then just th- that passing accuracy I mean, early in carl anthony towns's career when he would get doubled in the post he would panic because that's not something he was used to dealing with and evan mobley already it, i now towns is one of the best passing centers when guys do that because he's excellent at finding the cutters or making that skip pass to the opposite corner. And Mobley's kind of already doing that. And his interior passing that wraparound um, to the opposite dunker spot, when guys double him or kick out to relocation threes, it's really impressive. So I mean, obviously the dunker spot won't be there as much because I would hope that he's not playing in as many too big lineups, but you know, that translates to guys cutting baseline or cutting from the top of the key. Um, So I, I, and like you said, I I think four to five, maybe even six assists a game eventually um, isn't out of the realm of possibilities for him because he just makes the right play nearly every time down the floor. So let's, um, let's talk about his potential fit with Carl Anthony towns, because there is a universe in which the Minnesota Timberwolves will have the opportunity to make the decision to pair them together. Yeah. (laughs) Is this a universe you want to live in? Would you be willing to live with it? Cause I kind of think it's interesting. It'd be fascinating. And I, I never really understood the hype with Wiseman and Towns. I thought that fit would be messy. It just didn't make sense. Um, Cause I, 
towns can't defend out on the perimeter so he'd be defensively he'd be a four and it would be an absolute mess um i and i want Cade. i would love Cade. actually i would love to win some games but that doesn't seem in the cards right now um <laughs> but if Cade's out say, say we they fall to two or three um and mobley's there i would a hundred percent be on board with them taking mobley um Wow. I, I I think he would the I I, I just I, I think the fit would be more natural. I think Mobley has more spacing potential, so I don't think he would clog the floor. Um four towns. Um I think defensively, if they throw McDaniels out there at the three, I think defensively that length would be incredibly fun to watch. Um and you know, the Timberwolves suck. They've always sucked. And if Towns is like, you know what, what are we what am I doing here? Like things are not changing. They have not changed my entire career. Get me out. It makes it a little easier when you have Mobley coming up to fill that space in behind him. Um, but with both of them on the floor, I, I think it makes a lot more sense than it would with um like more of a rim running guy like Wiseman is. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I I agree because I think Wiseman is a five through and through, and he's a guy that I think has more potential to guard the perimeter in his. You know, I think he moves better than people have given him credit yeah. for. Um, but he's a five. Yep. I think Mobley is going to be able to slide situationally between the four and five in his play style. You know, I I think that it's definitely a cleaner fit. It's a weird fit. It's yep. something I'm I'm definitely interested in. I don't know if I want Mobley to be out on the perimeter, you know, 25 minutes a game, but it's definitely something that you know, 12 minutes a game, he could he could guard out yep. on the on the perimeter. He moves his feet well, he's long, he knows where to be and what to do. I could definitely see him, you know, having to guard out on the perimeter a little bit and then uh, you know, kind of cleaning up from that spot, some of the, the mess that, you know, whatever Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, um, you know, misassignment happens at the time. It's interesting. It's, it's interesting. And having two big men that could pass the way that those guys can, I mean, there's some really interesting offenses you can, you can run. I, I mean, you know, some of the horn sets with, with both of those guys would it'd just be phenomenal stuff. So it would be interesting. And I, I think it would be the right move um, if they were in the position to do it. I don't know, Albert, what, how, what would you think of that? So, so for me, I, I think, I think Tyler, I think if you guys are at the two spot, right. I, I think you do have to ask the question though. Right. Because um, like Jalen Suggs, we haven't talked much about Jalen Suggs yet, but Dude, that that fool's really good, and yeah. um, it, it does make you wonder, like, what would that look like if you have Cat and Suggs and Anthony Edwards? And I, for the record, I love Malik Beasley. Beasley, like, I've been on his bandwagon for years now. Like, I always, I could not wait for him to get out of Denver or for Denver to give him a chance. And now he's a twenty point scorer. I, I've always loved him because I love him. that dude. Could just he can just score the ball, and yeah. you need guys like that. So I love him. But um, 
I, I think it's hard though, right? I, I think it's it would be a really difficult position for you guys to be in because as you mentioned, I, I feel like we're almost seeing a, a renaissance uh, in terms of bigs. I mean, with all the hype that Embiid is getting right now with Jokic, Sabonis, the list goes on and on, right? And for my next Julius Randle, who should be an uh, Easter Conference All-Star this year, is playing his his ass off. And so like we're seeing the bigs come back or maybe they should have never left as uh, Charles Barkley has been saying for a long time. But you know, it, it's it's really interesting because as you guys are mentioning right now, Mobley and Cat, like it seems like they could, I like theoretically they should be able to play together because of all the great things that we've said about Mobley and we we what we know about Cat. It seems like that that can work, but then you do have to weigh like, man, Suggs is there on the table too, and Suggs, I. I, I'm just crazy. Uh, I'm over the moon about Jalen Suggs just because, like, l- on last week's pod, Corey was saying how he's like a coach's dream, right? And I was watching Gonzaga this weekend, and it's like I, it's like the heart eyes emoji for me, like, when I'm watching Jalen Suggs play. Like, there, it feels like there's nothing that he can do wrong uh, when he's playing out there, and I, I just love everything that he does. And so if I was in your position, it... it you have to kind of ask that question, right? Like, do I want to pair Mobley with Cat, or do I want to pair Jalen Suggs, who he's kind of the type of guy where you know he's going to do everything right uh, on the floor. And it just feels like he's going to make all the right decisions. He's going to do all the dirty stuff and then also be just freaking great. So I, I guess, Tyler, it's like a follow-up question for you. If you had to compare those two hypotheticals, I, I'm guessing you're leaning Mobley, but it, it, it has to be like Suggs has to make it harder for you, right? Yeah, and and I'm all for bringing the the Minneapolis kid home. Um, you know, I I think that's I, from a ticket standpoint, that would certainly help too. Um, I, I would still lean Mobley, um, just because I just have him in that other tier. Um, I, and then I have Kaminga, Suggs, and green and that and the third tier all pretty kind of closely clumped um you know this may not be i so if i'm the timberwolves i i think i'm just taking best player available at that spot mm-hmm. because and screw it let's try something weird um because you're not going to attract free agents and you've had like seven coaches in the last nine years or something abysmal and just nothing seemed to work. So let's take the best player available. And maybe maybe they don't view Mobley that way. But for me, that's where I would lean. Um, I would not be upset with Suggs at all. Um, I worry about some of the positional overlap there. I know that that shouldn't really be the case when D'Lo has had a brutal start to the year, uh, started coming out before he got hurt. Rubio's been awful, but you know, next year will be an expiring uh, shout out Jordan McLaughlin, who's way better than his contract or playing time suggests. Um, and you know, you touch on Malik Beasley, he's not going to want to be relegated back to the bench. The, the dude shooting over 40% from three and averaging right. 20 points a game and finally got a shot, and he's proving how good he is. And that contract's looking like a steal now, he, right? He, he's not going to be okay being oh, now not i'm a sixth man really because i was just scoring 20 points a game as a starter um you know there are a lot of other issues with his game mainly defense that don't lead to winning basketball but from a locker room standpoint i just see too much positional overlap where it just would end up causing some conflict 
Um, but if they view him as the best player available and you would take him at two or even three, um, I, I'd be all for it because I, I'm a huge fan of his and he's just one of those dudes who's just a good basketball player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the argument for Suggs in any capacity is that I think outside of Cade, he is by far the number one guy that could change the culture of your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, you know, I said he, he'll always be the guy. He's a coach's dream. He has that Brandon Royness to him from a personality standpoint. He has the Halliburton just like, he he might not ever have like the same jaw dropping statistics that some of his draft classmates have, but he is just going to be a guy that you look back on his career and he was on way more winning teams than like anybody else. Like that's what I foresee for him. You know, like he definitely has some, like, is he going to be a one? Is he going to be a two? Is, you know, is his shot going to come around? But like at the end of the day, those questions aren't going to necessarily matter because of the impact that he's just going to have being a, a really fucking good basketball player. And that's yeah, just, I, I, I get a lot of Donovan Mitchell with his personality. Of Ooh, a yeah. dude who's just going to go out there. He's going to fight. He's going to ball. He's going to work his ass off every night. Um, and all he wants to do is win. So and maybe, maybe not from a technically on floor. They're not, you know, one for one comp, but personality wise, I, I see a lot of Donovan Mitchell and sucks. Yeah, and you saw year one for Utah coming off where everyone was kind of like, what is Utah going to be now, right? Like, they just lost the best player that they're probably going to have for a really long time, and he comes in and completely changes the outlook of Utah's entire future. Um, And kudos for them for being aggressive and and making that happen uh, and, and identifying that. But that's kind of where I see... So what I see Suggs doing and and you know honestly I think there's a pretty legitimate chance that Suggs makes it to five like I could definitely foresee a scenario where he he makes it to the fifth pick I mean teams are going to fall in love with Kaminga um yep. the size the ball handling the fact that he's quote-unquote raw but does not play like someone who's raw mm-hmm. um super young and then Jalen Green has been just balling. Let's go. He has been balling. And you look at a guy like Zach Levine, who has mm-hmm. put that kind of play style together. You look at Bradley Beal and you look at uh, Devin Booker and you try to foresee and project forward. And with that athletic ability, the natural, like he's got a great personality himself. Like there is, it wouldn't shock me to see Suggs fall to five. And with, with all of these guys going ahead of him and whether that's the right move or not in the long run, we'll see. But I almost kind of feel like there's a part of me that believes that is going to be locked in early unless Suggs just has a monster monster tournament um, where he shows off, you know, the ability to, to knock down shots consistently off the dribble, um, you know, kind of, just as a scorer kind of explodes in the tournament, um, which I think is, you know, he's shown flashes of, but if he can do that in the tournament, maybe, but I kind of think that he's the guy who could get slept on a little bit. Cause he's not necessarily as flashy or, or exciting. And he's both, and he can be both flashy and exciting, just yeah. not as 
as some, and that speaks to the the strength of the class. For me, really quickly, I I love Jalen Suggs like I loved Pritchard and Maxi last year. Just because I obviously Suggs is a way better prospect than those guys. But when you watch Pritchard and Maxi play in college, those guys were fearless. Like that's the thing that I loved about Maxi and Pritchard, just because I know for Pritchard it was like the athleticism, right? People were worried about that. Um, for Maxi, it was the jump shot, right? But for me, like I don't really like looking at college stats too much just because I feel like a lot of that, like it's so misleading. Like Obi Toppin supposed to be a 37% three point shooter. He's not, I can guarantee you he's not right. Um, but you know, the eye test thing for me, the, 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 the aggression that Suggs plays with is scary and it's infectious. And I think there's a big, he's a big reason why Gonzaga's playing. They're the number one team in the country right now. I mean, yeah. Other than Kispert, who also we're going to talk about because I freaking love Corey Kispert. Love um, <laughs> he's so damn good. But um, Corey, what you mentioned about Jalen Green, right? It's so funny that you brought up Levine because after our pod like a couple of weeks ago, I was watching Zach Levine. And I was like, damn, like this could be Jalen Green because there is a game. I think it was against the uh, Westchester Knicks. Funny how the Knicks just keep coming out of my mouth. But um, Jalen Green was on a fast break and he went up for this one hand dunk and his head was probably like looking down at the rim at that point, but that dunk felt very Zach Levine esque. And when you watch Jalen green play, I I'm so happy that we were right about him because after that first game, everyone was down on Jalen green. And we said on this pod, Corey, that, Hey, look, he's a, he's a blue chip stock. He's going to take time. He's going to, he's going to find his bearings. Right. And he's going to be great. And he's been really, really fun to watch so far. But um, yeah, just going back really quickly to Suggs. The eye test for me. I love him. I, he plays so damn hard. He's, as you mentioned, culture changer. He's just got this energy about him, the football background. Um, I feel like he's going to play through injuries. He's going to be like a, a little Steven Adams with his toughness. I feel like he's going to be like a Iron Man, Cal Ripken type. And so I'm, I, I couldn't be higher on Jalen Suggs. But um, for, if you're Minnesota at two, it's going to be a tough decision for sure. Yeah, well, that's assuming that, you know, they make it into the top threes. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's a lot of scenarios at play here yeah. for Minnesota. Uh, a lot of guys are not kind to the Timberwolves. <laughs> hmm. um, okay, so uh, I'm just going to freestyle this part because I just thought of something that I think is a cool name. Um, so moving on uh, from our Mobley talk uh, for a second. Uh, we'll, we'll do this a little bit later. Let's let's talk about Jalen uh, Johnson for for a bit and and because i think you know with the the name of this podcast being the draft act and we like to talk about players stock who goes up and goes down i think very clearly he has taken a little bit of a hit with his draft stock over the last week or so um what tyler what are you making of this situation with him well, I mean, he's obviously a quitter. Um, no, I'm kidding. Those takes are absurd. I, I don't get it. Duke sucks right. this year. They're bad team. Uh, sorry, Duke fans, but I don't think Coach K has had a good coaching season since they won the national title. Um, they'll, they'll live. Yeah, they'll live. tough, tough. Um, it's just a bad situation, and he was his highs were super impressive. And then he had some of the lowest lows of this draft. Um, I I currently have him at like 17, I think. So like middle of the first round. I know I'm a lot lower. I've seen him as high as like 
six or something some places um i think he has the two the tools to get there eventually i think it's going to be a lot longer road than some of these other guys um and a lot more uncertainty um i just a game against illinois i really struggle to get the image of him being isolated against kofi coburn on the wing and just not being able to break down that dude um he has if he doesn't have a straight line to the rim he's probably not getting there he has no dribble counter moves um he's explosive but i don't think he's a good lateral athlete um i like his rebounding i like his grab and go potential um i don't think he's as good of a ball handler as you know he's kind of advertised as and i worry about the outside shot because it just it it did it wasn't there this year so maybe that's a situational thing that you know he, he just gets out of duke maybe it's really nasty and toxic for him there and he just needs to change the scenery, kind of like Jaden McDaniels from Washington last year, who's having an awesome rookie year. Um, so maybe it's something like that where he just he just needs to get out. He just needs to focus on basketball and move on with his life. And I, I hope it is because he you can tell that he has the raw talent, the raw physical skills that a lot of guys don't have. Um, I just worry that he really didn't put it together consistently, especially against, you know, of the top talent um, at all this year. Yeah, I think that's all com- completely fair. You So you have him 17. Where do you think, because I agree, like I think for he was mocked at like six, seven for most of the year. And he even had, after a couple of his games early on, uh, when he had like the big rebounding, big assist, big block numbers, he was even in the top five because um, we didn't and hadn't seen yeah. or heard much out of Kaminga and Green. Um, so he's been the one guy or not the one guy. Cause I think Zaire Williams has dropped, uh, his draft stock, uh, a ton as well. Where do you think he, he ends up at this point? I mean, it's still so early. Do you think he falls out of the lottery to like where around you have him? Or do you think he's going to be a guy that it's a certain point in the draft teams are just going to be like the physical tools and some of the raw skills are too much to pass up on at this point of the draft? Yeah. I would guess that he goes in like that, that middle to late lottery kind of starting around seven, I would guess teams really start yeah. looking at him um, just because I mean, he, he's that kind of prototypical for that, mm. that we see a lot in NBA rotations now. Um, and if the highs are what you're getting more nice than not, it's absolutely going to be worth it. But, you know, I, I just worry are the, you know, those lows where he can't beat a slow footed big man off the dribble is that more who he is or is he going to be the student, you know, get 20 and 15 every night? Yeah, it's, that's, that's the question. And, you know, he does seem to me like one of these guys. And I think this, you know, maybe why this could be a a smart decision. Like if he ends up in a a situation where he has a lot of space on the floor in an NBA offense, Mm -hmm. it feels like, and he's not like relied upon to be like the man. It seems like a lot of his skills could be really net positive for mm-hmm. a team um, as just like a versatile guy who can kind of Swiss army knife his way around the court, sliding in between different positions defensively, potentially, you know, a guy that you can maybe make use of uh, as a passer in certain situations. Uh, I agree with you. I think his handle is a little bit sloppy. Um, it's definitely not as tight as you would like to kind of like if you were trying to make the Ben Simmons light comparison, like he doesn't have the same handle. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does have the grab and go ability in the open court where 
you can kind of have a little bit looser of a handle and still get to where you need to go. So he's really interesting. He definitely has NBA athleticism yes. um, and strength and, and a body. So, you know, they're real. There's real upside there. If you get him into the right spot at the right pick. So I could see why teams are going to be intrigued um, even without the shot and, and, the shot's interesting, right? Because this is actually a really fun topic where you it's like a very good eye test thing because I think mm. he ended up shooting 40-something percent from three in his season, right? And Mobley is shooting like 30s, like low 30s mm. from three. Yeah. But, and they're both on roughly equal volume, like both low volume shooters, um, which obviously skews stats but Mobley is a guy that you look at and you're like all right little pommy probably gonna need some adjustment to the NBA line um but clean good arc you know definitely translatable whereas Johnson you're like "Eh, that's that's gonna be tough it's gonna be Mm -hmm. tough a little mechanical it's a little flat the misses are probably gonna be inconsistent like one of the like Mobley, a lot of his misses are short and that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. Like missing consistent consistently is not a bad thing. Cause it means that you have, you have something to fix. Um, that's identifiable easily. Like Johnson, it's like, ah, it, it could be a, a longer road for him. Um, but, but that's just a fun tidbit on the eye test versus, you know, looking yeah. at a stat sheet. Um, but yeah, I, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy and his yeah. stock is definitely dropped and I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see, because immediately after that decision came out, the internet was like, fuck this kid, he quit. Like, <laughs> I don't want that. That's bullshit. I don't want that. And then there were certain people later on with more nuan- uh, nuanced opinions uh, mm-hmm. who came out in defense of him and, you know, really, you know, fought for, for his perspective, which I think maybe helps his his, you know, stock a little bit at least on you know the internet you know who knows what nba uh executives are taking from all of this and they're obviously going to have way cleaner intel than you know all of us playing the guessing game on that end but um it's you know definitely worth noting you know when when jay bill is you know comes out so strongly you know uh so i it seems like it seems like it'll in the end it'll probably even out and get him to where he probably is properly properly should go, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be stunned. I know I have him out of a lottery, but I'd be stunned if he dropped yeah. that far. Um, I, I think I'm you know as Albert was nitpicking with Mobley, I'm probably nitpicking a little too much and not appreciating how impressive the highs were. Um, you know, it's always moving. Um, after every game, I watch it. I move guys probably too much, but the, I, the tools are there. The decision to quit doesn't bother me at all. It's like a running back opting out of the Idaho Potato Bowl. Yes, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. They're not going to the tournament. If they were, you know, top five seed, and he, the, the dude opts out, it's like hmm, that, that's that's a shitty. You know, it's like <laughs> that, that, that's a lot. You, you don't really see that, but they they suck and he's kind of going it almost seemed like he was going in and out of nagging injuries getting really odd play minutes um he got benched there and was had eight minutes 
in one of his last games. So I, I think it was just a really bad situation that he was just better off himself from. Yeah, and who knows Dude, what, I, what his injury yeah. about his you know yeah, who, yeah. maybe his maybe his foot's messed up. Yeah. No, yeah. dude, I I hundred percent agree with what you guys are saying. I, I as you Corey mentioned, I love what Jay Billis said. I love that he came out there and he really defended him hard because, for me, I, I think it's a bigger picture thing. I, I think it's a macro thing where we live in a day and age where the we live in the player empowerment era and players have a lot of say about their futures and about you know their current situations too. And I think you know even a couple of years back we saw Kawhi just not play for the Spurs. And then he went to the Raptors and won a title, and now no one talks about it anymore. As you mentioned about college football this season because of COVID or whatever, right? Guys like Panay Sewell in Oregon or Jamar Chase at LSU, they just chose not to play. And so for me, it's like we, I, I think we have to kind of accept the era that we're in right now. And even in the NBA right now with Andre Drummond or Boogie Cousins or Blake Griffin, like we're seeing guys making decisions for themselves and also doing that in tandem with their with their organizations. And so if Jalen Johnson, him and his family and the people around him said that this is the best decision for him, I, I, I think it is what it is. We see, look at the G league ignite. All those guys said, you know what? We're not going to go to college basketball. We're not going to play for college. We're going to go and we're going to make money and we're going to make the best decision that we think is for the best for our development. And so I, I think that's great. And um, for me as Jalen Johnson, as a prospect, you guys may not like this. And maybe Tyler, you might agree with me more. I'm really low on him. Like I actually, I'm I'm really really low on him to the to the fact to the point where I watch him play and I'm like, who's better, Kenyon Martin Jr. or Jalen Johnson? Now I, I get it, I get it. I'm being kind of ridiculous, but <clears throat> I I don't know. I, I I hate the jump shot. Um, and you know Cor- Corey knows I, I'm a big eye test guy. I hate the jump shot. I absolutely hate it. Now I've been wrong before. I hated uh Halliburton's jump shot, and now he's making me pay for that one. So I, I just don't like the jump shot. I like everything that you guys said. Obviously he's explosive as an athlete. You see it. That's the first thing that you see, but I don't know in the 2000 NBA draft, um, Kenyon Martin went first to the nets and then Stroh miles swift after him and Darius miles. And that's kind of the vibe that I get from Jalen Johnson. He's a, he's a big kid, super athletic, but there are major question marks in terms of his, you know, will he be able to iron out, those aspects of his game. Will his handle get tighter? Will he fix his jump shot? Will he, you know, all these things. And so I have major questions about Jalen Johnson. And so guys, I'll give you a hypothetical. Imagine, imagine the Mavs are, sorry, actually we have the Mavs pick. Um, Let's say, uh, let's say some team is sitting like ninth, right? And Kispert's still on the board and Jalen Johnson's still on the board. For me, in the way that I evaluate those two guys, it's a no-brainer. I'm taking Kispert nine out of ten times, right? Every single day. But that's the funny thing. I feel like Jalen Johnson, now that he cut his season short, and because of all of the quote-unquote potential and the tools and the gifts that he has as an athlete, I can definitely see an NBA front office like overthinking this and grabbing Jalen Johnson because he's, what, three years younger and super athletic. But for me, I'm taking Kispert every single day of the week. But I, I think that's an interesting hypothetical where a front office might look at those two guys and say, hey, let's go for the home run potential with Jalen Johnson. And I would hate that pick because I'm just really low on him. Yeah, you know, um, when I was uh, speaking pre-draft with Alan Hahn, we were talking about certain prospects and he labeled them uh, get you fired guys. 
And, uh, you know, if you take a guy like him too high and it doesn't pan out, he's a guy that could end up getting you fired, (laughs) you know? Um, But one more thing on the NCAA, because fuck them, that's why. Uh, (laughs) I did my my master's dissertation on how corrupt uh, their entire system is in taking advantage of athletes and how they use outdated court cases to continuously um, just fuck over these kids. And uh, I think now slowly, slowly their things are starting to look better and there are more avenues now for these kids. Um, but at the end of the day, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So uh, before we get out of here, um, and again, I'm freestyling this. I, this segment, um, just because I thought of the name, since this is a draft podcast, we're going to call this segment Rough Draft. Mm. All right. And Tyler, and if you need a minute to think, that's fine. I'm going to, I want to, uh, I want to know who was the guy that you just missed on. Oh, from last year? From any, at any point in, in your evaluation, who's the guy that you missed on that you kind of, regret that you missed on that you're like why didn't why didn't i see this um oh, right off the top of my head you know i'm probably the only one um in this camp but Lamelo ball um <laughs> I, I i i i knew he would be you know an elite playmaker from day one um the rest of it i wasn't sold on i i thought his shots mainly his shot selection appalling i thought his attitude on defense was infuriating yeah uh, his effort was just non-existent his overall was frustrating and then he hit the nba and none of those things came with him so it really seemed like a case of i am in australia this team wanted me here i can do whatever the hell i want so i'm going to and now i'm in the nba with you know nba players who are you know, quote, technically better than me right now. And an NBA coach who's out of the media, who's an awesome coach in my mind, and saying, yeah, he got benched because he's not playing defense and he's turning the ball over. And that's probably the first time in his life that anyone has ever told him that. Um, and, and it worked because the kid's been awesome this year, and I, I, I missed on him. So I, I did have him <laughs> in like the 20s. I had him at like seven or eight. Um, but He's he's been really impressive and just his overall decision making and shot selection and you know shooting mechanic consistency um, is almost the exact polar opposite of what he showed the last three years of him playing ball. Yeah, but you weren't alone in those fears. I mean, I shared every. I think all of us here shared every one of those concerns. Some people were willing yes. to look past them more so than others. I had him at three. Okay. Even though I was kind of like, I would be petrified to take him, um, <laughs> you know? So like, okay. Like, and he's obviously so talented naturally that it's like, I don't want to drop him too far, but I was petrified. If I was, you know, the bulls had the fourth pick, I wouldn't have taken him if he was on the board, I would have been scared. Um, yeah. So it, it's that, that's a, you know, I think going to be a common one for a lot of people. But the other thing too, I did write that the Hornets would be the best situation for him. And 
that is part of what makes this a hard process because situation and coaching is such an integral part in player development. And like you mentioned, he had never been held accountable. And for the first time, finally, he was held accountable. And you know what? It made him better. Mm-hmm. You know, and and who knows if another coach would have been willing to kind of do that. Some there would have been probably some situations where he just started from day one, was given the keys, maybe didn't have the right players around him. And uh, you know, it things are looking a little bit different, and some of those flaws are maybe a little bit, you know, more justifiable. Um mm-hmm. so that that one is uh I think it'll be a common one going forward with a lot of people. And now to redeem yourself, this is called to the moon. Who's the guy that you were right about that you're really proud because a lot of other people didn't see it. Um, I'm, I'm, there may be a more obvious one, but the first one that always comes to mind is Keldon Johnson. Um, Ooh, yes. I had him as a mid to late lottery guy. Um, Loved his athletic tool, thought he was a really good slasher, uh, could be a good defender. Um, I I remember almost every board and locks I saw out there having him as like a second round guy. So I I try to consume things to, you know, kind of see what other people are thinking, but I, you know, it's always a struggle to make sure that you don't get talked off of someone or talked into someone that you don't really like, where you're like, well, all these other people see this. So what am I seeing? So let me just bump him up a couple spots. Um, and you know, the more I do this, the better I get at that. Um, but Keldon Johnson is one of those guys where I, I just really held firm and really believed in his game. And he's been really fun this year. So he's been so good. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that I'm just always always going to lean on awesome dude thank you so much for uh hopping on the show why don't you uh let everybody know where they can find you uh yeah an easiest spot is twitter uh at t metcalf 11 um it spells how it sounds um all my draft stuff is at hashtag basketball.com um all my timberwolf stuff is over at uh canis hoopus um but yeah i I usually tend to just kind of tweet everything out anyway so that's probably the easiest spot uh really appreciate you guys having me on this was a lot of fun yeah man for sure this is uh we'd love to have you back this was really this is a really interesting uh conversation we had um albert where can uh the internet find you oh the internet can find me I don't know if I want the internet to find me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I have a Twitter handle, um, Alberto uh, Gim. At, oh, I was about to give you guys my email. But um, <laughs> Alberto Gim uh, with the O-E. It's a stupid nickname nickname that my friend gave me in high school. But uh, yeah, if you search me up on Twitter, you could find me there. But uh, I do want to say, Tyler, it was awesome having you on. Um, maybe one day we can have bring you back like once we have the lottery, you know, results yes, and see where your wolves are, that'll be a really interesting conversation <laughs> to have then. But uh, dude, good luck to you guys. Um, goodbye, Ryan Saunders. Um, hopefully things get better or worse, or I don't even know how exactly, right? We don't really know. It's futile at this point. You just take it one day at a time. But that'll be fun to watch for sure. All right. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hardwood Herald. Uh, you can also find my NBA Top Shot account at uh, the Hardwood Mag, where I have 11 moments, and I 
sold a bunch of uh, moments way too early and missed out on a ton of money. So that's something <laughs> I'm going to have to um, live with for, uh, you know, the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but anyway, guys, make sure that you uh, subscribe to the podcast. You rate it. Um, leave us some comments. Hit us up yeah. and uh, let us know what you think about these guys. And uh, until then, peace. Peace.